Welcome to A Dying Podcast. My name is Nils. Today I'm on the phone. I have an interesting setup using Skype and a software called Audio Hijack, which means I'm actually hearing my own voice as I record. <laughs> Not a super comfortable uh, experience for my uh, hearing, but I think it's going to work out. And on the other side of this line, I have Barbara Carnes. Welcome. Oh, well, hello there. Hello. How are you? I am good. Thank you. Lovely. So I've read up on you. I heard your name after having interviewed Frank Ostaseski. And so I know a bit about you, but for listeners who perhaps don't know who you are, who, who is Barbara? Um, I am a registered nurse. I started in hospice uh, in about 1980. I was one of the, um, well, we'll say pioneers in hospice in end of life. At that point, no one really knew what dying was like because in the medical model, we uh, put people at the end of the hall of the hospital and tried to stay away from them. And so uh, working with people in the last months of their life, my goal was to be with them at the moment of death. And so over the the years that I was a staff nurse and doing uh, end-of-life work, I was with thousands of people at the moment of death and in the months before. And what I learned was that you really only die in two ways. It's either fast or gradual. And gradual death has a process to it. And that's what I learned. And from that, I eventually became, you know, clinical supervisor and administrator and director of hospices. And then I started education because I realized that Taking care of someone at end of life is different than taking care of someone who's going to get better. And most people don't know that. And so the work of end of life is judged by on how people get better unless we teach, excuse me, unless we teach families and the community that there's a difference. And so I got into education. And now my focus is on educating anyone who will listen that end of life, what happens, what's this process to teach people the normal, natural way that that dying occurs. Wow. And to me, that's obviously extremely interesting. As listeners will know, I've been <laughs> to some extent obsessed with death for the, for the past five years um, because it, that just happened. I and mean, for some reason, my brain just went there and realized I don't really know what it is. I, I've been scared of it, which I'm not anymore after five years of, of working actively with that fear. But I'm very curious to learn more about this process that, that you've seen. And, and, you know, feel free to, to look at this as a teaching opportunity to teach both me and the people listeners uh, listening about how we approach death in, in the best possible way. Okay. One thing we have to, to focus on first, I think, is that the human body 
as well as the animal body, is programmed to die. We are born, we experience, and we die. And there's a natural process to dying. And people have died the same way since we were on this planet. How we take care of people who are dying changes and will continue to change with whatever happens to be popular at the moment. So my focus is on teaching people how the body dies in its natural form so that then when they watch someone dying uh, from disease or old age, they can distinguish between what's normal, this is what always happens when someone's dying, versus this is pathological, this doesn't generally happen. So what's normal is that As I said, there's two ways to die. You either get hit by a truck, have a heart attack, suicide, you're alive one minute or you're dead the next. That's fast death. There's no process to that. That just one minute you're alive, the next minute you're dead. Gradual death is the other way that we die. And that is, has this process to it. It's either you die of old age. Your body gets old, it wears out, it stops, and you're dead. Or disease. Disease is one of the ways that the body chooses to leave this this life. So let's talk about gradual death and understand the process. It's so simple. Now, the difference between gradual death from old age and disease is time. Old age takes longer. So I'm going to talk about gradual death from disease, which starts months before death actually occurs. With old age, you'll have this years before death occurs, okay? So months before death from disease, three things start happening. A person's eating changes. Their sleeping changes, and they start withdrawing from the world around them. Months before death from disease, a person will stop eating meat, and then pretty soon it's fruits and vegetables, and then anything that requires energy to digest. And then on this continuum of, of months, two, three, four months before death occurs, then um, you get to where they're just going to, you're going to have a hard time getting soft foods down them. And then on this continuum, it's uh, protein supplements and ice cream. Ice cream goes a long way. Most people really, really like their ice cream. I I have to just pop in there and say my, my grandfather passed away four or five years ago. Um, he really, <laughs> towards the end, he only ate ice cream. And actually, his last word that he spoke to me was the word ice cream. <laughs> okay. Well, as far as I'm concerned, ice cream is a quality of life issue. So, <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, but and and most people, I mean, ice cream goes down easy. Um, Then you get to a place where you're doing good if you can get sips of water or Gatorade down them. That's normal and natural. And yet 
one of the hardest things to get people to understand is that it's okay not to eat when a person has entered the dying process. Always, always offer food. But don't force people who are in the dying process to eat. You're going against what the body wants to do. Food is the anchor that holds us on this planet. And if the body's um, trying to let go, then it's normal and natural that it doesn't want the food. And and interesting um, on this continuum, they'll get to a place where they're not taking in enough fluids for hydration in the one to three weeks before death. Uh, right up to days. You're not going to get enough fluid in them to prevent dehydration and families get really upset and we don't want mom to get dehydrated. Well, the thing is dehydration is a part of the normal way that the body lets go because when a body is dehydrated, the calcium in the bloodstream goes up And when the calcium goes up high enough, then the person closes their eyes and they go to sleep and they don't wake up. So dehydration is an important part of the dying process. How are we doing so far? Fantastic. I'm just uh, (laughs) listening intently. I just want to hear more about... um, yeah, the process and, and all of the, the wisdom that you've amassed doing this work for, for so long. And I, to me, you know, this is so important because it's a conversation that's rarely held uh, in many people's lives. And then once we face death, which I've done a number of times now, we sort of, when in a way we're perfectly prepared for it because we're human beings. And, and at that moment, we understand we are actually prepared for this, whether it's us dying or someone close to us dying. But to just actually have this conversation, I think it's so helpful um i can feel it helping me um now just getting another viewpoint on it instead of it's been this big black black cloud for so many years that i don't know what it is it's just huge and scary and unfathomable but this is just another way to come to you know to grasp what it actually is so you know feel free to continue to to just share okay so we've done food now that's one of the things The next thing or another thing that's going to occur at the same time, two, three, four months before death from disease occurs, add time for old age, is a person's sleeping habits change. Starts out months before death, they're going to take an afternoon nap. And then pretty soon, it's a morning and an afternoon nap. And then in the weeks before death, they don't get out of bed. And then they're asleep more than they're awake. And this is very much a part of the normal way that we die. And with this increase of sleep comes a pulling back, a withdrawal from the world around because they're letting go of their hold here and they're building their place in the other world. And so months before death, 
uh, they're not interested in in socializing. They're not interested in their their favorite soccer team. They haven't been following the women's soccer and what's going on. And then it's oh, you know, don't have the church ladies come over. And then in the weeks before death, they've gone completely within, and they're not conversational. They're not uh, reaching out to others. They're they're processing their life on many levels. They're looking at, at their life. What have they done? Who have they touched? And this is work only one can do, and that's themselves. And so on this inner level, they're looking at their life. Um, and that withdrawal goes goes within. In the one to three weeks before death from disease, there's a different change. And I call it labor uh, just because it, it's really a time where we're watching this person trying to get out of their body. I mean, there are things there that tells me labor has begun. Is you walk in a room, the person's in bed, they're not getting out, they're sleeping most of the time, but they're sleeping with their eyes partially open. They've got their mouth open and their eyes partially open and they're sound asleep. They may be picking at the air, picking at their bedclothes. There's a, a generalized restlessness and agitation that goes with that. You're not going to be able to carry on a conversation with them. What I equate this to is the little chicken that works really, really hard to get out of its shell. It doesn't just pop out. It has to work to get out of its shell. And that's what we're doing in the one to three weeks before death. We're working to get out of this shell of a body. There are other changes that occur hours to minutes before death. Um, the person is non-responsive. Their breathing changes and they'll start looking like a fish when when you think of a, a, how a fish breathes with their mouth open and closed and open and closed that generally occur that kind of breathing occurs in the minutes to hours before death and it gets slower and slower um so those all of those things are normal and natural and nothing bad is happening when that's going on. It's very sad to be with someone that we care about when they're dying. It's very sad. We look at the, the loss that we're going to have, but I want people to know that nothing bad is happening. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's just beautiful. And, and I'm curious to get into spirituality, but I, I've shared on this podcast that I've, I've been doing a lot of work in, in many different fields for the past couple of years with myself through meditation and breath work, but also um, plant medicine. And uh, I had an experience using ayahuasca um, ritually a few, year and a half ago where I experienced dying and there was just many layers of that. But I think the most clear 
emotional insight that then happened in for me in my experience there was that i experienced both that i wanted to die in those moments and also that i really just wanted to get rid of my body so just hearing you speak about you know the chicken chicken trying to pick its way out of uh, of the egg and and leave the body behind really just resonates with that memory so so thank you for sharing that uh, you're welcome there are just many things that i want to ask here do you also see that um, most people face uh, death in the same way is it is it mostly welcome uh, how much fear is there in there when does the fear give way to just this natural process uh, or is it just very very different for different individuals well there are some dynamics that go with dying we're going to die the way we've lived we're going to die according to our personality and we have limited control over the time that we die. Now, dying the way we've lived and according to our personality is going to affect the fear factor that we all bring when it comes time to die. I don't care what your spiritual or religious beliefs are, we're going to be frightened to some degree when it comes time to die. And that fear will um, show itself in our pers- in how our personality has always been. Okay, we don't suddenly just because we're dying, our personality doesn't change. In fact, it intensifies. So if we were ornery and cantankerous and living, then we're going to be a real monster when it comes time to die. Or if we're laid back, easy going in living, then we're going to be a little marshmallow when it comes time to die. Our personality just intensifies. But um, how we have dealt with fear in our living is how we will deal with the fear when we are dying. But that's going to occur in the months before death. In the one to three weeks before death, all everything is inside. And so we observers, the only way we observers can really recognize fear in the one to three weeks before death is agitation, is how um, physically agitated a person is. And if it's, if they're, um, I think we tend to use medication way too much um, when it comes to end of life, which is another whole topic. Uh, But if a person is in danger of falling out of the bed, of hurting themselves, then of course you're going to use some um, sedation in some manner to calm them down. But um, I look at the agitation as a sign of fear that we're all going to have because we're facing the unknown. You know, no one really knows for sure. I mean, I can intellectualize what I think happens after death, but I don't know for sure because I'm still breathing. Yeah, then let's get into that. So, you know, I guess from the spiritual point of view, obviously, you know, 
anyone alive can't really describe or know exactly what happens when you die but do you do you have an idea and and even though you know uh, knowing that the words we use will never be a good way to describe it but but based on your experience in this field do you how do you how do you look at your own upcoming death and 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 what's on the other side of that um i can say that i studied uh comparative and world religions before i got into this and um metaphysics as well so i walk many lines let's put it that way i believe and this is purely barbara all right this this is just an opinion but some of it's based on what i've watched through my patients and that is i i I guess I'm 98% confident that those people that are important to us in living that have died before us will come to be with us to help us get from this world to the next. I don't believe that we, when we stop breathing, that existence ends. I think it just, there's another dimension that I can't even begin to comprehend but I have seen so many dying people, you know, um, see the the three-year-old child son that died when it was three years old. And now, you know, mom's 80 and she's dying and this three-year-old comes and, and is at the bedside with her. Or, you know, the my own mother telling me that the angel is watching in the window. Uh, and then my father who died five months before she did, she tells me is sitting in the chair next to the bed waiting for her. Um, and that angel from the window finally comes and sits on her pillow the day before she dies. You know, listen to what we consider um, confusion and see if we can make sense of it because they're telling us what this other world is like if we'll listen to them. And it's these people that have shown me that uh, there is an existence beyond this physical realm and that those that have, have died before us will um, guide us and support us as we make that um, transition and that they actually, I just from what I've watched, um, those that have died before us, it's in the one to three weeks before death that they then start coming. And it's like, it's almost like they're saying, hey, we'll take it from here. We'll, we'll support this person from here on. Wow. So I'm, I'm of a very similar opinion. And, and just like you, this is just Nils speaking. It's hard to prove these things, right? <laughs> but um, both from my own experience, I actually haven't really, I've been digging deep into death and, and um, this plant medicine experience was one of the perhaps clearest examples. But I've also had personal experience and, and I'm curious to, to hear if if you hear a lot of stories like this from you know loved ones of the person who has passed away uh, so especially when my grandfather passed away i did really experience his 
presence the night that night when I went to bed when he had already passed uh, sort of in the room with me uh, just sensing this energy so to speak uh, but then also if you just look at it purely rationally if you look at how consciousness seems to be structured and how it you know the the shape we're currently in in this dimension as a human being is is basically just you know it's a temporary dream or idea from a much larger consciousness that's really what i experience but also what i see um, and people who are much better at describing things these things than i am have have described it like that and i'm referring as an example to ken wilber's book spectrum consciousness which to me really describes the various levels of consciousness where the deepest or the always present uh consciousness just does not have a shape uh, but it's constantly there in an ever-present now um and even if you look at physics you can find that type of conclusion and to me it just means that well that's what we are when we're we're not in this temporary shape and form and and look at ourselves as a as an object so i i really share that view on things but it's it's also nice <laughs> to hear someone with as much experience as you and from your viewpoint sort of reach a similar similar conclusion well and and two things as you're talking popped into my head one is that um, people that have had near death experiences who have been pronounced physically dead and then through the wonders of our modern technology have been revived but they have said when i was dead i heard everything that was happening i saw everything you know they're telling us what what occurred while they were dead so i listened to them and then the the other thing is that bereaved people people who you know months or weeks or or even years after the death of a loved one have seen that form you know, um, I had a woman call me on the phone and her husband had been dead about a month. And she said, I just saw him walk down the bedroom hall. I know he was there. I got up, I ran down. And of course, no one was there. You know, I have many of those stories where, you know, I saw my grandfather and I didn't, but I had a woman say, I saw my grandfather sitting on his coffin at the funeral. Um, so, there are many, many examples of people who have had, do I say, vision, well, sightings, we'll use the word sightings of loved ones um, that have been able to um, come forward after their physical death. I also have a lot of family that write me and say, I want to see my mom or dad, why haven't they come to see me? They said they would and they are not coming. Why not? And what I say to them is you're trying too hard <laughs> because, you know, it, it, those kind of, of experiences just happen. It isn't something we can go out and say, okay, dad, come talk to me, even though you've been dead a month. You know, it, it's, we can, we the living can't create that. Um, it has to be from the other side. Yeah, and how 
if I just switch the focus a little bit here. So, you know, death is, is obviously not a new thing. <laughs> it's been around for some time. Uh, uh, but do you feel and in, in your career, in your, in your life, um, do you see a change in, in how we as society deal with death or talk about it? Are there cultural shifts? Is, is, are things changing or is it basically pretty much the same? There was a time that death was more accepted and understood than it is now. And I think because of the medical advances that we have achieved, then death now is considered a failure instead of something that every single one of us are going to experience. So I see more anger and discontent around death um, as, well, somebody didn't do their job, you know, um, where it used to be that, that grandma died at home and the family was there and this was, was part of life, but it isn't so much anymore. And that's one of the reasons I feel called to talk as, as loud and as much as I can to anyone who will listen to help them understand everybody dies and it's normal and it's natural. And, you know, we seem to understand when someone 80 year old is 80 years old and dies, but we don't understand when someone is 16 or when someone is nine or three. And so it, that's really hard, but that's part of grief. And then you look at what your basic thoughts about life are. And that's, I guess I'll stop there. <laughs> so I, I want to speak about the process of grief too, but before going, going there, I look a lot at how patterns in society shift and and sort of where things are headed and we've obviously been for quite some time in a, a phase of the history of humanity where everything has been extremely results-based because we've had this super productive society since industrialism basically where we're we're able to you know manage the world around us and and invent a lot of amazing things and and create new types of technology but our entire uh, at least in the Western society, it's starting to shift now, but uh, for a long time, everything has been focused on results. So when we go to school, it's just because, you know, we're heading into a career where we're supposed to be successful and everything is centered around these results. And, you know, a good result is a success. Uh, a bad result is a failure. And a couple of years back, I wrote a book about the value of, of, of failure. And back then, my brain was really just starting to realize that failure is a good thing. But now I've, I've realized that everything is just process. So re results don't even <laughs> exist. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that maybe that's the same. I haven't thought about it 
around death. But now when you put it like that, that people see death as a failure just must be a result of our society teaching people to think of life as a number of results. And, and you know, when you die, that's a failure because you can no, no longer achieve any more results in this in this life. And if you haven't achieved something uh, in that sense, when you die, then, then you're a failure, which is obviously very sad, but I see how it's all connected in that way. Yes, I think it is. Uh, I think it is. It, it's not with all of our medical advances. Uh, it's about results. And why couldn't you fix mom? Uh, why couldn't you fix this child? Um, it's a failure. Yeah, and and just one simple insight is that you know the process of dying has been going on since the <laughs> the first moment after we were born, and so we're constantly in that we're always dying, <laughs> which we are, at least from the I think moment gives we're comfort. born. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> from the time we take our first breath, we begin dying. We have millions of cells in our body that die every second. You know. Dying, death is a part of life. It is yeah. the cycle. Yeah, so it's, it's equally true then, you know, that once we're alive, we're basically only doing two things. We're living and dying at the same time. Exactly, exactly. So uh, I'm curious about the... Um, the grief process, when, um, which I'm pretty obviously, to me at least, the person who's dead is not grieving that. <laughs> I, I, I don't think so, at least. Um, but the people who are left behind tends to go through this um, grieving process. Is, does that always look the same? Is it also, does it also follow typical steps based on your experience? I, I kind of... I, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna say this. I think that grief is really selfish because grieving is about me. Our our religions of the world teach that when you're dead, you're in a better place, and so the person that died in our belief system is better off, and and so. Our concern really isn't about them. It's about us. It's I'm sad. I'm lonely. I, my life has to change now and I didn't want it to. And so I'm dealing with that. There are aspects to grief that um, are very, very normal. You know, at first you're, you're numb, you're, you're, uh, you go through the motions, and then it's, oh, six weeks, two months later that you kind of fall in a heap on the floor and think, oh, my gosh, I'm not functioning. I'm worse now than I was at the funeral because now the numbness has worn off. And you look at your life and you think, oh, my gosh, you know, what am I? This person isn't in it anymore. And all of this, of course, depends upon the relationship that you had with the person, how close and how much your life is affected by them not being in it. But, you know, um, you then go through the, these thought processes. And in, something I find interesting is that I think the more difficult the relationship that a person has with the person that died, the more complicated and harder their grief is. When I have someone, you know, really, really having an unusually hard time with their grief, 
um, then I'm going to look and delve into the relationship because generally that signals it was a difficult relationship. Interesting. And and thank you for, for saying that. I uh, haven't thought fully about grief like that, but now that you say it, it does make perfect sense. And there, just a celebratory aspect of death is something that I've been thinking a lot about that I feel is getting left out. Like, since I've been thinking a lot about death, obviously, I've also thought about, um, you know, not just what it is and what happens and how am I going to approach it and how can I, like one of the things I'm trying to strive towards is to to try to die gracefully so I don't, uh, you know, leave people around me in a worse state, but they can actually, you know, somehow grow and, and celebrate my death. And I've been thinking about funerals and I just don't get it why there's so little celebration in a funeral, at least in the ones I've been to, uh, and how they're all, they all look the same, which also to me, like I want, I want a funeral to express that person in, 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 you know, and the personality of that person. I want my funeral to be a, a festive and happy and creative one. And yeah, so I guess I'm curious to hear your thoughts about funerals and, and, and that uh, ceremony. I will tell you a personal story um, that'll make my point. My mother and father died within five months of each other. And my father died first. And my mother um, wanted a traditional Episcopalian uh, visitation and funeral. And the uh, Episcopalian minister that she wanted uh, did not have a church. He worked out of the hospital and they had become friends and he was a great support and she wanted him to do the funeral for Don. And this uh, Father B said, no, I can't do that because um, I don't have a church. So she went to the, the neighborhood Episcopalian church and set up a funeral and a priest that uh, did not know any of us conducted the service and then we went to the cemetery and et cetera. And in the car going to the cemetery, my, I'm, we're in the, I'm in, in the back seat. My mother's in the middle and my sister's on the other side. And over my mother, I looked at my sister and I said, so my mother couldn't hear it. When she's gone, it's not going to be like this because there was no personal anything to that funeral that was given by this stranger. So jump ahead five months, mother dies. We called Father B and said, Father B, we, how can you do the service? Can we do it in the funeral home? You know, we want you there. And he said, great, I will come. Uh, but I'm on call at the hospital, so you need a backup plan because if I get an emergency, I have I won't be able to come and do the service in the funeral home for your mother. So we said, okay, well, we'll come up with a backup plan. And so as a family, we started planning what we would do if Father B couldn't come. 
and we got poems and stories and each one of us were going to, you know, decided what we would say and do and how we would have this service. And when we were done, we looked at each other and said, who needs Father B? So we (laughs) called Father B and said, we're going to do this. And we would like you to come to the cemetery and, you know, do your blessing at the cemetery, but we're going to have the service. And so at the funeral home, oh, people got up and shared their stories and we all did our poems and all of our stuff. And we celebrated Dorothy's life uh, in a way that had absolute wonderful meaning for us. And, you know, 20 some years later, I'm still talking about it because it was so special and meaningful. And that's what I would like to see funerals be about, a celebration of the life and all the people in that person's life, not just the run of the mill um, standardized things that are said. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I I feel myself tearing up (laughs) hearing this. And I'll take the opportunity since this is recording and going to be, you know, on the internet. Uh, So when I die, people who listen to this, who know me, please do that thing. Um, That's what I want to. (laughs) Definitely. That's how you should celebrate a life because that's really what it is. It's just celebrating a transition. It's it's kind of weird that, uh, well, not weird, um, but yeah, kind of weird that, you know, these transitions we go through in life at younger ages and those are different in different cultures you know uh, whether it's um, bar mitzvah whatever it is depending on where you're from and what type of, of lifestyle and culture you have but we have these rites of passage and these traditions where we celebrate children becoming adults uh, for instance or graduation from school and all of these things they are purely celebratory but then the the transition into you know the other dimension the next phase of, of this ever ongoing <laughs> cycle of life and death it's just not celebrated in the same way it's a very quiet thing uh, usually so thank you for sharing that and for giving me the opportunity to uh, also say that in this in this context that don't don't wear black and be quiet and and you know be colorful and and celebrate and celebrate you know i think to some extent every person you know we're connectors right so if I'm uh, connected to one person, then a lot of the, the people who will show up at a funeral will have that person in common. So celebrate that connection between individuals instead. Yes. So thank you for sharing that. Are you still there? I'm still here, yes. I just wanted that to sink in for a second. Okay, <laughs> um, okay this is all uh, amazing. And once again, I feel it's just such an important topic. I also feel I've had the experience which doesn't, bother me at all but i i tend to get questions from people partly because this podcast is called the dying podcast doesn't mean that it's all about dying it's actually way more about life <laughs> um but and i i do have these conversations about 
death, but I find that a lot of people just don't want to have that conversation. They feel it's a depressing conversation to have, or why focus on that, you know, when that will come in, in due time. Um, so I'm just grateful to be able to have these conversations with, with people like you. And I, for one, think it's an important conversation to have. My experience and my relationship with death is that for the past five years, it's been present in my life constantly every day. I just can't shake it. It's just there. And initially that was scary and slightly frustrating. Uh, but now I see it more as a gift because it makes me value. It, it really helps me be present in the moment and value everything that's happening. And also seeing that everything that's happening is in itself a death process. The person I was yesterday is not the person I am today. So the person, the nils of yesterday is in one way already dead. So there's just value in in talking about death and and trying to understand it and finding your own approach to it. Um, I I agree with you. Um, as you were talking, it it made me think about most of us either live in the past or we live in the future. Very few of us live in the moment, and that's the only thing that's real is the moment. You know, the past is is uh, memories of what has been. The future is what we want to happen, but none, neither one of those are real. Only thing that's real, the only thing that has true meaning is this given second that we are experiencing. And yet most of us, we're on automatic pilot during our, the majority of our, of our, now of of our present and i like to think um when i die that i'm going to look back at my life and think what did i do in my present that had meaning and that may have been just sitting and playing with my cat and that has a lot of meaning it may have been doing this podcast which has meaning also but both of those have so much more value than projecting what I'm going to do tomorrow or what I did yesterday. Could not agree more. And, and you know, there are many tools um, to get into that experience, which, you know, is the only true experience, the, the present. Uh, so uh, actively thinking about death, I think, is actually a really good tool for that. And then you have obvious things like, uh, meditation and other kinds of mindfulness practices. Uh, another thing that's not related to death <laughs> at all, but that I felt really helpful is to simply stop planning, uh, to plan as little as possible, which it's, I would say in, in my life, it's impossible to not plan at all <laughs> because a lot of people around me <laughs> tend to want to plan things, but just not planning my life more than let's say three months into the future at most um, is one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life because it brings me into this moment and it just creates less future for my brain to deal with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just, it's, it's, it's interesting and it's important to share things like that. So before we're going to start wrapping up this, um, uh, we've already been going for quite some time here and, and, We've covered a lot of ground, but what else are you sort of 
passionate about sharing? What else do you feel is important related to, to, to the topic of death or life, which is, you know, very much the same topic. Um, yeah. Is there anything else that you feel you want to, you want to share with people? Um, you know, I think we've, we've covered a lot of information today and I think we've op hopefully opened a door in people's mind to look at death from a less fearsome um, perspective in seeing the, the normalness to dying, um, which I hope will, it won't take all the fear away, but maybe it will neutralize some of it. Um, that's what I'm on this planet for, is to educate people about end of life because we're all going to experience it. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you for doing the work you're doing. If people want to learn more or um, read some of the things that, that you've uh, written, where can, they, where can they find you and where, what should they be looking for? Uh, they can go to my website, which is Barbara Carnes or Google Barbara Carnes, RN, or gonefrommysite.com. Uh, I have um, end-of-life education materials. I have DVDs. I write a blog every couple weeks, uh, so you can go to my website and and get on my mailing list, and you'll you'll get the blog. My purpose is to educate about end of life, and so I've got easy to read little booklet, thirteen, fourteen page, large print, fifth grade level uh, material on end of life because people aren't going to read 300 pages when they're under stress. They might read 13 and come to my website and explore. Lovely. Thank you so much, uh, Barbara, for um, coming on the Dying Podcast, which is a suitable name for your expertise. I've learned a lot. So thank you for, for sharing your wisdom and your time with me and the people listening. And to all of you listening, as always, feel free to reach out. Uh, if you want to talk about death, <laughs> uh, you know, reach out to Barbara, uh, but also feel free to reach out to me. It's, it's my favorite topic uh, <laughs> because it's, it's, it's really all about life. Um, so uh, that said, uh, enjoy your day. Perhaps just let death be present with you for a few moments today and feel what that's like and what it brings up for you. And I will see you all again next week.